I, I honestly don't know why this wouldn't be top of your list. Looking at, you know, in the spirit of not looking at where the puck is, but where the puck's going, you have such an incredible opportunity to establish and create a business that is future-proofed. Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. If this is your first time, welcome for the first time, and thanks, everyone, so much for listening. Before we get started, as always, I want to thank my sponsor, partner, the Association of Commercial Professionals in the Life Sciences. Uh, we just had the ACPLS annual meeting in Philadelphia a few weeks ago. Fantastic meeting, as promised. Incredible speakers, that many of whom you've heard on this podcast, but you get a chance to meet those people in person, ask them questions. We had Harishi Samartzadu from Thermo Fisher, Tom Selig from Patheon, David Chapin from Forma Life Science Marketing, and Dory Clark, all fantastic keynote speakers. But what the attendees, who are all awesome in themselves, really enjoyed was a, a customer panel. So we brought in three customers from the local area, and everyone in the audience could ask them questions about where they go for information, how they like to be sold to, what do they find most useful, what do they hate. Uh, everybody always loves this session, and of course, we're going to do it again next year. Also, great workshops from a lot of different presenters and so many opportunities to learn, but then overall, a chance to meet and share ideas and challenges with people just like you, uh, and that's the real value of the of the organization. So I highly recommend you check it out. Go to acp-ls.org, hit the subscribe button, get on the mailing list and uh, learn more about it. I'm going to have a lot of exciting news about it coming up in the next few months. Today, I had this conversation with Richard Milne. He's the vice president and uh, global leader for e business at Thermo Fisher Scientific. We started out the conversation. My intent was to talk about a case study that he had on his LinkedIn profile about um, managing a multiple life science marketing properties around the globe while maintaining brand standards. But it turned into so much more than that. We talked about the kind of planning and commitment required to make something like that happen. We talked about digital marketing as he sees it in the future, which goes way beyond taking your marketing content and turning it into digital assets. It also included the skill sets. Hello, everybody. For uh, that kind today, of my guest is Richard Finally, Milne. He's the vice president and global leader you know, of the advantage to a small company Fisher of beginning to think digitally Richard, right welcome now. to the podcast. There's so much more nimble. And, Thanks a lot, um, man. Nice to be I here. I think you're really going to enjoy this so episode. So today we're going to talk about Let's the jump challenge right into of taking your marketing properties global and maintaining brand standards at the same time. So... Uh, I've seen that you did something like this at 
Life Technologies, I think, before you were acquired by Thermo Fisher. And maybe you've done something similar in the past. But when you did that project at Life Tech, what were the problems you were seeing that led to kind of a new way of doing things? Um, well, I think the, it was problems and opportunities, right? I mean, to begin with, you start you start with the opportunities, and so the opportunities were, you know, what's happening across the world, you know, and principally at that time, what's happening in Asia. But now we see tremendous opportunities emerging in, you know, emerging markets in Eastern Europe, in Russia and Latin America and those sorts of places. And so reasonably good market understanding of what the of what the opportunity is is the first thing and then as you start thinking about what is the execution path what's the what do you have to go do if you like um then you start thinking about well, what are the problems that we're going to encounter and i think probably the biggest one that we came up with was whilst there was a lot of opportunity there wasn't necessarily the business readiness and and that's the the biggest issue that we I guess continue to come up with right is you know build it and they shall come doesn't work um, and so thinking through the organizational design the go-to-market go-to-cash the legal entities all of the other pieces that you need if you're going to try and go e-commerce in China or e-commerce in Japan or e-commerce in Brazil or whatever are just as important as the technical capability of building and delivering a website right Right. Yeah. Um, so I love that. I love that you mentioned the business readiness. And that's, I guess, kind of the area I want to talk about most. I mean, um, you know, I read your case study on LinkedIn and talked about a cloud solution that you implemented largely so that you could ma- give the local markets their opportunity to communicate with their customers and yet at the same time make sure that you maintain the brand standards. Mm-hmm. Um, can you describe how that how that worked in a in a physical sense? Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's, it's a complicated um, it's a complicated problem, right? Because um, you've got Naturally, from a marketing perspective, the closer you can put your marketing professionals to the market, the, um, the, the better they will be, the more in touch with the market they'll be, the more aware of pricing, competitive dynamics, and everything else they will be. So if you start from the principle that it's good to have marketing people very connected to their markets in order to be as effective and impactful as you can, um, then on the other side, you've got this notion which says, but I want to maintain product quality. I want to maintain brand value and brand equity and brand standard. And so you've got to find a way where you can distribute the capability to people wherever they may be, whilst at the same time you can uh, kind of retain an ability to see and to oversight on things. and. We, we used Adobe for a lot of that. I mean, there's an Adobe suite now, I think, which has got all sorts of um, different capabilities in it, whether it's the Adobe Experience Manager or um, the Analytics or the uh, Adobe Media Optimizer. We, we used all of those things. Um, and what it did was it allowed us to have a central team that was driving forward um, the technology and the capabilities 
but equally it allowed us to distribute our marketing organizations out into the various different regions so that they could be very connected with the market. So I think, I mean, that's one of the core benefits of having these globally deployed um, marketing technologies these days is that you can, you can kind of have both of those sides of the coin, which is very important. Definitely. So I've, you know, I've experienced that sort of, let's say, challenge in the past. And I'm curious how far, how far down or how far out does um, that local marketing capability go? In other words, I'm thinking about e-commerce. Maybe your local marketing teams are putting up web pages about different products and so on, but are they filling in product details on a local level in local languages or no? So that's all centralized. Yeah. I mean, we, we manage the, we manage the entitlements, uh, which I think is, is what we call it, you know, where you're localizing the catalog and turning SKUs on and off and all that sort of thing. We manage all of that centrally. But that, again, that just goes down to a question of what's the most efficient way of of sort of designing and building the resources that you've got. I think that, you know, if, you're, if you have a different starting point, you might end up at a slightly different end point. I mean, that all depends on, on where you're starting, right? If I if I could be entirely strategic about it, and if I could do it all again, I think I would be much more mindful and probably much more global in my perspective. I think that there is no reason why you couldn't have, for example, a, a very very hardcore high-end analytics team based out of somewhere like India, um, or or your your SKU enablement team based in China. You know, you, we moved some of our web production capabilities out to China, um, which was a very good move for us. And so I think you just need to be you need to be thoughtful about what works best for any given circumstance. Right. Now, that's that's interesting in and of itself. And that kind of that's a nice transition to what I, I wanted to talk about next, actually. So uh, one of your her- colleagues, Harisi Samartsadu, has been on the podcast, you know, back in the spring. And I met her when she spoke a couple weeks ago at the ACPLS annual meeting. And you know, the topic she talked about both on the podcast and in the meeting is, you know, how do we evolve life science marketing to keep up with the way our customers are evolving and the experience that they expect? And she mentioned, you know, one of the things she thinks about is the need for a different kind of skill sets in our industry as we get better and better at digital marketing and really trying to catch up to many other industries. So did you have to think about new kinds of skill sets when you implemented this global solution? Still do. I mean, still do. They're changing all the time. I mean, my my feeling about, and I know Harisi well, as, as you know, but um, my feeling about it, looking at it from a digital marketing perspective, um, is that you've you've had v1 of digital marketers right when we you know it was considered um innovative to go and get people that you call digital marketers but what those people were interested in was essentially taking offline marketing and putting it online so you know i didn't do brochures anymore i did emails and i didn't do events and trade shows i did webinars and you know, and, and, and it was very much the same idea of pushing it out. 
I really passionately believe that we're heading into uh, a kind of V2 of digital marketing where those sorts of things, I mean, that's Marcom's online, right, is what that describes it. Exactly. What, what's going to happen next is we're going to get into a world where people much more profoundly understand what digital marketing is all about. And I think that's to do with much less about trying to digitize your Marcoms or trying to digitize your offline marketing. And it's about thinking about the nature of the product itself and thinking about how you can enhance and evolve a product based upon the digital capabilities you've got. And that can very, you know, be as simple as, you know, some kind of connectivity, but increasingly what it will mean is that marketing becomes about the product experience as much as it does about the marketing message. Um, I think if you consider the notion that you would you know, in, in the future, when you launch a product, the selection guide, that product connectivity to the internet, um, the ability to monitor, maintain, reorder, reuse, track, understand, you know, all of those things will be part of the marketing. I would far rather having a digital marketing person who's thinking about how I can automatically download protocols from a particular location then I would have somebody who's talking about um, how they can take a flyer that was made and make it into a, a digital you know, asset that can then be fired out at people because ultimately that firing of product content to customers for them to consume is going to become a, a, a game of the past, I think. Yeah, and at the same time they're downloading those protocols mm -hmm. – Back home, you're tracking which protocols are popular, so you can get a sense of the direction um, a, a particular field in biology might be moving, and what experiments are more popular, what new products might need to be developed. Yeah, and there, and there is there in itself is the virtuous cycle, and so listening to our customers will be less about sitting across a table from them and listening to them, and more it will be about analyzing what they do. And servicing our customers will be less about sending them materials into their inbox, telling them just how incredibly brilliant we are, and more about creating product experiences and digital experiences online that will be so compelling and so so innovative that they will not be able to they will not be able to do their science without them. That should be the test for us as marketing people: is that we should be bringing forward customer experiences that fundamentally support our users in their daily jobs. That's good marketing these days, I think. I love it. I have a big grin on my face. I like to say, I like to think about making our marketing as innovative as the tools we're trying to sell, right? And, and um, so let's, That's uh, right. yeah. let's, um, I'm just curious about, so making that kind of transformation, what, what does it take? I did, now I'm going to kind of go into like how, how does a company make this happen so first with making the case the business case based on your opportunity as you mentioned and then with execution I guess just a general you know, level of effort broad approach so people start depends. thinking I mean it depends a few, there's a few things I think that you should probably um, bear in mind number one this is not an annual thing this is something <laughs> where you need to um you need to have commitment for the long term. 
And so, you know, as Life Technologies, we were investing in e-commerce for 10 years, right? And, and you know, as Thermo Fisher, there's a absolute hunger for to invest in it. So it's not something that happens once. And I think that it, it's difficult. It's often difficult for us as, as kind of, you know, digital marketing professionals or e-business leaders or whatever, um, because you will get from your finance community, so when do I stop doing this? And it doesn't feel comfortable to say, well, you never stop doing it, but that's actually the answer that you need to give. And so that's one piece. The second piece is you need, it, it's it's very, very important to have organizational, kind of organizational readiness at the highest levels. And so in every case where we have been doing these large-scale projects and investments and such like, there has been direct support from the CEO. And so it may not be that it has to be the CEO. It may be that you know there's enough budget sitting within the CMO or, or within the CIO or somewhere else, but you've got to have C-suite support. And so uh, you can always start small. You can be uh, innovative about things, but you have to have that level of support. And then, I mean, I think the, the third thing is you need to go and invest in experts. It's funny, we were sat in a room the other day um, having a little bit of a summit. And as we as I looked around, I realized that sat in the room were, the, were in various, you know, you call them webmasters or owners of the sites or managers, web managers. But we had the, the webmasters, if I want to use that old term, from Gibco, Invitrogen, Applied Biosystems, Pierce, Pierce Antibodies, uh, the Molecular Biology site of Thermal Fisher, uh, Molecular Probes, Ambion, um, and, and then also things like uh, Dynal, um, I can't remember the other ones, and even, and even people who'd run things like Scripps, all sat in a room. There was literally hundreds of years of experience of running and managing websites in that space. And that's something that you, you know, that's something that's incredibly valuable to have that level of expertise, whether it's in content or commerce or, you know, the assets that matter, you know, the, the people who built the molecular probes handbook online originally, the people who built the first selection guides for Gibco, the people who built the in, initial e-commerce engine for Invitrogen, we're, we're all sat there. I mean, that, that's invaluable, right? Right. So, um, yeah, and that actually is a nice transition to my next question. So obviously, the huge amount of experience, Thermo Fisher has brought in all this talent, not to mention products, um, with all their acquisitions. What about a small company? I mean, first of all, like there must be a transition point when a company says, okay, now it's time to do this. How would they know that? And is it possible for a small company to do something like this, or does it just not make sense? It, it makes much more sense. Listen, if I was, I mean, it, if I was sitting in, I don't know what you call a small company, but let's say that I was sitting in a, a company that does $100 million, something like that, $300 million maybe, maybe that's a bit too much, but something like that. Um, I, I honestly don't know why this wouldn't be top of your list. Looking at, you know, in the spirit of not looking at where the puck is, but where the puck's going, you have such an incredible opportunity to establish and create a business that is future-proofed. It's actually far, far more difficult for a company like Thermo Fisher Scientific to do that than it is for a small, new company. 
because for us in thermal fisher scientific we've got so much legacy bag baggage right yes it's difficult to move it's difficult to move fast we've got multiple erp systems multiple um legal entities and 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 supply chains and you know blah 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 you, you name it um in a small company you tend to be able to manage your supply chain much more efficiently you tend to be able to be much more closely connected with your CRM database and everything else like that you can easily and cheaply plug in your marketing automation and your marketing communications capabilities and so you know for an absolute fraction of the price that we have to pay for things you can get up and running and and start competing really really easily and you know far far more than in actual fact building out the the sales force um you can actually look at building out that digital experience i mean abcam and and uh neb and all sorts of other people have done exactly that right where they have really gone after the digital experience as a way of differentiating themselves and i think very successfully um and so my argument would be as a small company that would be the top of my list and i would certainly want a cmo or a marketing director who knew that that was the most important thing to do as opposed to book trade shows right nice yeah i like that and uh, that's a great answer i totally understand the the legacy challenge i mean when i worked at varian uh, we had the same challenge we were acquiring companies many many legacy systems and integrating all those whereas if you're a small company just a few products you can create this experience like you said and um I'm actually I'm hoping to get Andy Bertera from NEB on the podcast um to talk about something like that but also if you if you're on this track that type of marketing program would or would not I I can't imagine it wouldn't uh make you a more attractive target for purchase if that was your strategy to be bought out right oh yeah yeah i mean sure it's, it's an asset right and and it really is an asset if you have that capability it becomes a very very scalable asset you look at what thermal fisher has done or what we've done here at thermal fisher since the purchase of life technologies i mean we have done everything we can to squeeze every pip out of of the life technologies um e-commerce capability and that's been very successful and i think that's the right thing to have done right well richard milne this has been a fantastic conversation i i've enjoyed the whole thing with a big smile on my face because it's it's really insightful it tied together a number of themes that um have been crossing this podcast over the last year or so and this whole idea of you know a digital transformation i love what you said it's not just putting your marcoms online it's an entirely new experience for the customer and the company in in terms of how they learn about their customers so thank you very much for your time no it's a it's, it's a pleasure mate and and look if anybody has got any further questions i'm i'm very happy to um to answer questions if people want to reach out to me and wish you best of luck with your uh with your podcast it seems like a, a an exciting endeavor to be going through right oh, it abs- absolutely is thank you richard thank you so much and listeners how sweet is that richard milne vp of e business at thermo fisher just laid out for you his vision for a digital marketing world and 
what it's going to take, the processes he thinks about to make that vision a reality. Uh, I don't think you can get that anywhere else. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I sure did. I had a big grin on my face, as I often do, but I really think this is one of the outstanding episodes we've had here at Life Science Marketing Radio. If you want to never miss an episode or you want to just get uh, my weekly email or sometimes every other week, go to lifesciencemarketingradio.com and um, go down the bottom of the homepage and on the right there's a little paragraph that says the best of LSMR and then there's a button underneath that and you can subscribe to the newsletter. I'll make sure you get updated on every episode and then in between episodes I often send out an email regarding some other aspect of marketing. I really appreciate you listening and I will talk to you in a couple weeks.